Do you know how different leadership styles can affect the way your organization will manage a crisis? I'm Edward Siegel, author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Crisis Ahead, 101 Ways to Prepare for and Bounce Back from Disasters, Scandals, and Other Emergencies. I'm also a leadership strategy senior contributor for Forbes.com. My guest today is Ryan McCormick, a crisis communications expert and co-founder of Goldman McCormick PR. He'll share his insights of how the leadership styles of government and corporate executives impacted their responses to a crisis. Thanks for joining me today on Crisis Ahead, Ryan. It's an honor to be with you, Edward. Thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit about your background and expertise in crisis management. Well, my company, Gold McCormick PR, we specialize in crisis communications, and we have been through a number of crises. Probably one of our most noteworthy clients is Nick Hillary, who is a father of five, wrongly accused of murder, came to us, and that was a crisis communications moment every single day. So I would say that when it comes to crisis communications, it just happens to be the one area of PR that we're the most comfortable and this whole idea of having peace of mind that you should relax, it's just something that, I don't know, it's, it's unfamiliar territory for us. From your perspective, what are the major kinds of leadership styles? Okay, well, I think we can identify at least five of them. Transactional leadership, uh, where the leaders you know, delegate structure and they, they assume individuals may not possess the ability to do their tasks. So there's also participative leadership, um, sometimes referred to that as democratic leadership and then encourages leaders to listen to their employees and get them really involved in the decision-making process. You also have um, authoritative leadership, and uh, that's usually when the leaders referred to as a visionary. Uh, they're not necessarily uh, act like a tyrant, but they're basically, there's somebody who's, who's the mentor to their employees, and uh, they emphasize a follow-me approach. You also have transformative leadership and that's when you have the individual that has a vision and it's really hoping to have everyone participate in that vision and transform themselves in the process. And then you have um, delegated leadership, which is really um, one that the leader allows the people to focus on themselves and to kind of go about it their own way. It's probably like the least intrusive or the least um, managerial aspect of leadership. Ryan, what roles do leadership styles play when responding to a crisis at a government agency or in the private sector? Well, I'd say that um, effective and inspiring leadership at the public and private sector can maximize the chances of a positive resolution in a crisis. Leaders shine when they lead by example and when they have a better, a lot of empathy for others and when they inspire people to be better versions of themselves. So uh, when a, a team, if you look at your team, when they, whether it be a nation or, or a bunch of employees at a company, when they are unified and inspired to achieve a common goal, the time for a crisis to be negative, I think, shortens substantially, and the chances of that crisis reaching a, reaching a positive resolution uh, is at its full peak. So, but the difference, I think, between public and private is the public, you're looking at the people at large, where if you have the private companies, you're talking about shareholders, you're talking about employees, you're talking about customers. So there's a smaller number of people that are gonna be directly impacted yet. I think you have the greatest chance of resolving crisis in a private sector 
as opposed to public sector. Do you think there is a best possible leadership style that if this was a perfect world would be the best kind of style for leaders to follow in a crisis? Well, the best kind of leadership, I think, really comes down to, at least from my perspective, is when you inspire people to be their best and allow them to allow the true talents to come out. My father recently showed me this wonderful book. It was called, it's called Whale Done. And it was about the power of positive reinforcement where you focus on what people are doing positive, you encourage that, and you don't necessarily micromanage the point of the negative. So I would say that in a perfect world, leaders that uh, heavily praise others for doing great things only inspires them to do wonderful things. And this, um, this wonderful concept of personal responsibility and allowing people to, to challenge, take on more, I think truly uh, allows people to become more of a participant in the process and hence bring a resolution to any particular crisis that is happening to actually your face. Faster pace, that's what I wanted to say. I'd like your take now on the different types of leadership style of government and business leaders. I'm especially interested sure. in the crisis that they faced, uh, how they managed it, uh, and how their approach to leadership affected how they dealt with that crisis. Okay with you? Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to let everyone know at the beginning that when talking about uh, certain government officials don't have a political bias because they Sometimes people assume, okay, well, if you're speaking positively or negatively about a person in government, they just assume that, okay, you're completely in alignment with those political beliefs. And I just want to emphasize that, you know, especially when it comes to your show, it comes to all things PR, it's just you're just looking at the leadership style. You're looking at it from a total unbiased perspective. So I just want to emphasize when I do this analysis that they are coming from a total non-biased perspective. Okay, thanks for that disclaimer and <laughs> clarification. Yeah. Let's start in the government <laughs> sector with uh, Secretary of Transportation sure. Pete uh, Buttigieg. Uh, what What do you think his well, style is, and how's he doing with the uh, series of crises he's had to deal with lately? Well, it seems like his style seems to be uh, the handoff. Like he's, he's, he seems like he has people that are uh, giving him information. I don't um, the way he speaks, the way he his body language is. He seems like somebody that is kind of relaying information, and it, it, it seems like it is a collaborative group effort with him and his team. Um, and I feel that when you have that incident in Ohio, the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, and he did not show up and didn't talk to the people, that was a lesson that I felt that all public and private sector uh, leaders needed to understand and realize that that was probably not the best thing to do because. Um, as the sooner you can empathize with people that are in a bad situation, the sooner that you can show uh, that you're, you're, you care, that you're compassionate, that you want to make changes for the better, the, um, the quicker the situation will turn around. And it was just the fact that this individual, Peter didn't seem like he was that engaged or maybe he was getting advice to go somewhere else. I felt that that could have been handled uh, particularly better. But overall, when I look at him, when I see him speak, I feel or I sense that he is getting a lot of information. It is more of a collaborative team effort rather than an individual leadership style, what he uh, goes about. Well, let's take a look now in the private sector. Uh, what are your thoughts about uh, Bob Jordan, the CEO of Southwest Airlines? Ah, Bob Jordan. 
we have that nice little thing that happens in what December 2022. Everyone's flying home for the holidays, and it was like 15,000 flights get canceled, and it, it was a disaster. And you, I think, for at least 10 days straight, there was negative press coverage. So, in that particular situation, uh, Bob Jordan should have come out and apologized profusely. And I contacted Southwest and I said, Hey, look, I've been married for 13 years. I happen to be the grandmaster black belt when it comes to apologizing. They do it all the time. And I'd be happy to give you some advice on how to make sincere apologies. So he did some, a little bit of an apology. It didn't seem like it was very sincere, but he should have been out uh, doing press conferences every day. You're really showing, reassuring people that what they're going to do is that they're going to, they're going to resolve this matter. They're going to do whatever they can to ensure something like this, like this doesn't happen. And Again, one of the greatest things you can do as a leader in a crisis is really have empathy and really show that you care. Because if you show that you care, if you show that you are doing everything you can to make a matter better, I think it gives you the people will give you the benefit of the doubt. And situations like this, I think, resolve themselves faster because more people want to participate and join you and help you resolve the matter. What's your opinion of Michael Dukaris, who's the CEO of Anheuser Busch? Well, at this point, Edward, I don't know if he's going to be on pace to make it into the CEO Hall of Fame. Uh, Bud Light has seen an unprecedented drop in the amount of sales. It is something historic. It is a um, it's something that people would call uh, akin to an asteroid hitting Earth. It is a brand-killing event that has occurred, and the lack of directly speaking to the customer about it, acknowledging the situation, acknowledging the problem, I think it's only causing that backlash to be prolonged. Most times, Edward, when a crisis happens, one of the first things we do in PR, at least our company, is we try to take the temperature um, on social media. We see where things are going. A lot of times, people go through this anger phase where there's an emotional reaction, the anger's out, the next distraction comes. What's unique about Bud Light is this has been going on for a prolonged period of time. The outrage has only continued to grow and the brand is continuing to fall down. I, if you go to most bars and most places, very few people I see, at least observing from a personal perspective, are drinking Bud Light. So if I was Michael Dukaris, I would be addressing the customer's concerns right away, head on, uh, addressing them and you know talking about it, trying to make some kind of resolution. Because at this point, there is a massive disconnect between what the company is doing, what they're perceiving, and how the company, how their customers are perceiving them. And the customers, unfortunately, are leaving them because uh, they didn't want to get an educational uh, perspective or they, they rejected the brand's perspective on how they want to be perceived. Social media platforms, of course, are a source of uh, leadership examples. Mark Zuckerberg of Meta Facebook comes to mind. Um, what's your take on his leadership style and how he's handled the different crises that the platform has dealt with over the years? When it comes to Mark Zuckerberg, okay, he's somebody who's been the face of his company for a long time. A metaverse didn't seem like it really took off. And, you know, as a CEO, as somebody who's an innovator, sometimes it's going to happen. So I think that what's going on with him is that as long as he remains in the public eye, as long as people still stay with the social media platforms, he's going to be fine. If Mark Zuckerberg uh, goes out and he says something that's extremely controversial 
or goes against the social norm or it really offends a lot of people, that's when you're going to see a lot of people probably leave or find his brand toxic. And I don't think anything that he's doing at this point is putting himself in a precarious position like that. The fact that him and Elon Musk are talking about having a fight is, you know, definitely an interesting public spectacle. It'll probably pique more interest, but will it drive other people to his other new innovative products? That is yet to be seen. Let's jump back into the government sector and talk about Roy Cooper, who's the sure. governor of North Carolina. Well, so I live in North Carolina. Uh, companies based in New York live in North Carolina, and I've watched this governor firsthand. I can say that as of right now, he is a Democratic governor that won in a Republican state, which is very difficult, I'd say. And as of right now, he's got a state legislator, legislator that can override any of his vetoes. So... When you look at a situation like this, you, you look at the kind of leadership style and under his watch, what has happened while he was governor is that U.S. News has said that four cities in North Carolina are considered to be one of the best places to live. Companies like Apple and a lot of other tech companies have come to North Carolina during that tenure. So in some ways, if you happen to be at the helm, when good things are happening, the leaders uh, tend to attribute those to you regardless if you had something to do with it or not. And uh, this governor makes it a point to show that he is passionate about sports teams. Uh, so he makes it a point you know, to go on the ice and say he's a big Carolina Hurricanes fan. I know some other governors do that. And sometimes it can be really effective. I mean, if people see that you're passionate about their sports teams, they may not even know or care for your particular politics, but I think they'll like you. So, as far as Roy Cooper goes, looking at his leadership style, I believe he had an authoritative leadership style in the beginning, and now he's kind of pulling back and kind of sitting back and letting uh, what has happened under his watch speak for him, knowing that he may not have much influence uh, because of the change in the legislature. But when it comes to public perception, um, it doesn't matter whether they have an R or a D in front of their name. If they're speaking and they re have a, um, a presentation of calmness and collectiveness and stability, that tends to reflect very positively upon the individual. And I would say that in uh, Roy Cooper's case, that is reflecting upon him. The Walt Disney Company has been in the news, has been making headlines for a lot of different reasons over the last several months. Bob Chapek, mm -hmm. who's the former CEO of Disney, uh, headed the company uh, during some of those crises. Well, what's your take on his style and how he handled his crisis situations? Well, there, I have read this book, Work in Progress, by Michael Eisner, a number of times. I've read, uh, I love his style, the way he actually built up Disney. And from what I've read about Michael Eisner and seen in his interviews, everything that he's done is basically, well, top topic that was the antithesis of Michael Eisner. Michael Eisner says, you know, you do things in order to make money for shareholders. And then Kevin O'Leary recently came out and he said, the role of corporations and, and companies is to maximize your products. You are there to you know, create the best product possible. You are not there to educate the public on social issues. So Bob Chapek, I believe that he took the idea that as a uh, CEO, he needed to uh, or felt compelled to start putting uh, social theme messages within um, the films and within aspects of Disney. And 
in one way that galvanized a certain amount of public support. Some people were really happy about it and other people weren't happy about it. And taking a particular strong stance in anything will never truly give you that full range and full reach. So under his style, under Bob Chapman, there's a lot of controversy that happened with Disney. Now, Bob Iger comes back, and people remember Bob Iger as being the Disney golden boy because a lot of wonderful things happen. So if Bob Iger comes and he continues on the same path as Bob Chapman, I think you're going to continue to see more people play Disney. We're in a very strange time, Edward, where crisis communications, I mean, your book is so relevant now, more now than I think it's ever been because I feel like all companies are in a crisis. All companies are in a crisis that wish to delve into any kind of political or social issues. And if they just pulled back and just did not focus on that and just allow themselves to present the best product uh, possible, they would steer clear of most of these murky waters. It's difficult to talk about Disney without talking about Florida. And it's difficult to talk about Florida without mentioning Governor Ron DeSantis. What's your take on him? Well, I would say that taking a, putting aside any of Ron DeSantis's politics and looking, I, I watch people like him and other politicians with a TV off, well, sorry, with the sound down, to look at their body language, to see where they are. And DeSantis always speaks with confidence. And there's some other people that always tend to speak with confidence. Based on his style, he seems to have a certain peep of people within the state that are backing him. So when you speak with style, you present with passion. I think that that can be very helpful. Coming back to his type of style, I think he has the authoritative, uh, authoritarian type of leadership where he's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this and this is people are going to follow. I necessarily think that he's got a democratic type of thing where, where he takes a lot of ideas and brings up the best. He seems to be just having a, a particular style like that. But based on how he is and where he's going, he'll be under a lot more scrutiny as a presidential candidate. And in some ways, all politicians that wish to run for candidacy, for the presidency, there's a risk. You raise your profile, your best aspects of yourself can be seen but some of your worst aspects can be seen. And under that intense media scrutiny, that is something where you really do see who could handle the heat and who can't. And DeSantis' future right now may seem positive, but we don't know how he or the Republican candidates or the Democratic candidates are all going to respond when the public eye is on them, especially as they get progressively more popular or as we get closer to 2024. Back in the private sector, Patrick Coulson is the CEO of Stripe. Uh, tell us about him, and for those who are not familiar about the company, what does Stripe do? Stripe is a platform that takes online payments, and it was founded by John and Patrick Coulson. So in 2022, they announced that they're laying off 14% of their staff, and Stripe's valued at $95 billion. But the one thing I think that they did was very positive is that they they honestly, they sent a you know compassionate letter out to their employees, letting them know exactly what was going on. So many times when a company has to cut employees, they do it callously. Sometimes they'll do it over the, they'll just do it right away and without any kind of compassion. But it seems that um, Patrick definitely emphasized a lot of compassion in there and he do whatever he can good to help other employees. So when that company comes back, I think you'll, you'll probably have more people that were loyal to the company come back. 
And it, I think it showed a good example of how to handle a position where you have to let go of employees. If you do it in a very sincere manner, it's very good long-term. It's a hard thing to do, but um, I think you did the right thing by, by being sincere. We started our conversation today with an example from the government sector, and I'd like to end with another example from the government sector. And tell us about South Dakota and their governor. Well, Christy Nome, she very well could be a dark horse candidate for president. I would say the same thing with Roy Cooper. When the situation happened with COVID, I think she was one of the few, I don't think her state ever locked down. So that, that definitely made her stand out. As far as leadership style goes, it, it's unwavering. I mean, the person I think of as unwavering is Dr. Ron Paul, three-time uh, congressman, three-time president, sorry, uh, he was eight-time congressman, three-time presidential candidate, never wavered. So when you have certain leaders that stand by their values, that do not shift or do not change, even if they are in alignment with popular public opinion, I believe that offers them a special kind of respect or not notification or notoriety. So even individuals that have positions that may necessarily be, um, may be unpopular, the fact that they stand with them, I think it shows a, it's a different kind of leader out there uh, because leaders have to truly, uh, wonderful leaders make tough decisions uh, even when the public doesn't think that they're, that's the right decision. And that could be really hard because it's in politics, you know, to be successful, you have to be popular. So to take a stance in politics and even if it's not popular, uh, it, it's pretty gutsy and it shows true leadership. We're almost out of time for today's episode, but before we go, uh, what's the most important takeaway you'd like to leave with listeners? The most important takeaway I'd like to leave with listeners is to say, to always anticipate a crisis. Edward, I think that people should go out and buy your book because you show so many examples of what to do and how to prepare. And you may not be in a crisis right now, but you will be, you will be facing a crisis. And I would say crisis communications, being an expert on that is no, is like self-defense. It is self-defense for your career. Uh, you know, you hopefully you never, you hope you never use it, but you, you'll be thankful when you have it. So I would say that always anticipate a crisis, be aware of a crisis, know you ain't gonna to respond to a crisis. And when that crisis comes, be sincere, be straightforward. You know, and also I'd like to people to take away that it is beneficial um, and on an energetic level and positive just, just to do nice things for people, do whatever you can to help as many people as possible. If you put a lot of wonderful things out in the universe, if you're sincere, um, it puts you, again, in a, in a beautiful alignment with positive energy. And I think you can navigate your way through a lot of uh, tough situations. Well, thanks again for being with me today on Crisis Ahead, Ryan. That's it for this edition of Crisis Ahead. My guest today was Ryan McCormick, a crisis communications expert and co-founder of Goldman McCormick PR. Be sure to come back next week for more advice and insights on preparing for managing and recovering from a crisis or subscribe to crisis ahead wherever you get podcasts each week i interview government officials corporate executives and experts who share their advice and insights about a variety of crisis management and crisis communication topics and be sure to follow me on forbes.com where i'm a leadership strategy senior contributor covering crisis related news topics and issues remember 
It's not a matter of if a crisis will hit your organization or company, it's when. And the sooner you are prepared for it, the better. Produced by HeartCast Media.